Yeah. You know something? I'm not afraid of you people. You got something to say? Say it. You have nothing intellectual. Yeah, because you're an intellectual dumbass to watch the mainstream media. Anyways. It's cowards want to get in people's faces. Here. Come on over here. Now you're looking up. Come on, coward. No, no, no. Come on. You're not an intellectual. You're a fake and a fraud. One and all, welcome back to another edition of Nick's Nonfiction, here with your host, comic Nick Munez. Today on the show, we have a treat. We're checking in with a Nobel Prize economist recipient, Joseph Stiglitz, his national bestseller, Globalization and Its Discontents. You like the cover art for the show? It's going to be an inflammatory one. Read the bio. You better have your snorkeling gear because we are diving deep. After serving on the Council of Economic Advisors, Stiglitz graduated to the World Bank. He supervised the transfer of Russia from communism to capitalism. Throughout his career, he's convinced by the power of laissez-faire markets. Saw how easily socialist models are hijacked. You got that mafiosa oligarchy ran by Putin over there. Stiglitz, he's a Georgist economist, friend of us Austrians here on the show. We're doing our nationalist libertarian take, and he's butting heads with the Keynesian trickle-down economists who have us currently in $28 trillion of debt. When I ask people what side of the political compass they're on, I don't mean left or right. I mean authoritarian or libertarian. If I ask you what wing you're on, you better tell me buffalo wing or dry rub. I don't care about no parties. We're talking global corruption, the interdimensional child molesters, the globalists. You ever seen that video? Alex Jones used to be a real reporter in the 90s. He was chasing after people building the Keystone Pipeline. He's going, sir, you're a liar and a fraud. Viral. We're having good stuff. Hope you're on the YouTube page checking out the Patreon. You guys get the theme for the show today. He worked at the World Trade Organization, the IMF. He oversaw the GAT G7, like a G6. Look, they just named these shadow organizations and all this stuff that's going to make you lose track. I'm here to break it down for you today. As easily as possible, we're going to compare it to comic books. The League of Shadows <laughs> is the Batman. We're going to illuminate the darkness on the show today. He oversaw NAFTA, the Free Trade Association that specializes in tariffs. Wait, wait, wait. Don't tell me the Department of Defense is actually on the offense. This is why Italian bakeries aren't selling French bread. It's these NAFTA trade laws. A libertarian take today. Us Americans, we got our wonder bread. We're not interested in your stinky Mars compone. By the way, they're called freedom fries. Close the borders. I thought it's a dang good pandemic. <laughs> Get out your Gadsden flags. Fun show ahead. Stiglitz, Nobel Prize. It's a serious one about the author. Not a lot about him online. Mysterious man for having held such high positions. He's born in 1943. He was an economist for the Clinton regime for eight years, public policy analyst, professor at Columbia University. He was born in Gary, Indiana. It's one of the country's poorest cities. They're saying if you're driving through there, you're running out of gas, you better pee in your gas tank and check out the damage to the engine later. You don't want to stop in Gary, Indiana. He was a poor immigrant family, and they moved to Massachusetts by the time he was in his teens. 
went to all those Massachusetts schools, recipient, as we said, Nobel Memorial Prize in Economic Sciences. That was in 2001. He's a former senior vice president and chief economist of the World Bank. Remember we read Wolf of Wall Street at mm, Stratton Oakmont. They said they called everybody a senior vice president. It's kind of just a mumbo-jumbo title. He saw behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz. Like I said, he's a Georgist economist. Those are the type of people that are going, we can run an economy off of a property tax. I like the Austrian economists. Those are more like 1900s ideals. They base taxes off of sales, so your money speaks for you. If you buy a pencil, the sales tax goes to education. And then there's the Keynesian economists, our current system, that's got us in debt, and that's based on the income tax. Started in 1920, 100 years of it. (laughs) First generation to not be as prosperous as the previous. Stiglitz, he lies with the Georgists. The enemy of the enemy is the friend. We're going to destroy Keynesianism today. Stiglitz received more than 40 honorary degrees, some from Cambridge, Harvard, been decorated by several governments, Bolivia, South Korea, Colombia. He was most recently dubbed in France a member of the Legion of Honor. (laughs) Not even hiding it. League of Shadows, Legion of Honor. 2011, Stiglitz named by Time Magazine one of the 100 most influential people in the world. If you're on our Patreon page, you heard black rednecks, white liberals. Hitler was Time's man of the year. Stiglitz in the top 100. September of 2016, he had an interview that went viral. He's going, we got to keep the Eurozone together. So he's staying up to date even though he's 80 years old. How about we get into this thing? After a quick word from our sponsors... Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Globalization and its discontents. Chapter 1, The Promise of Global Institutions. He started the book. Second chapter, unfortunately, is more of a day in the World Trade Organization. However, he's saying the people that run the world economic order are faceless bureaucrats. The maintainers of the worth of our money are unelected representatives. Here in America, we like to have some representation with our taxation. At the World Trade Organization, you see a bunch of obscure technocrats discussing test programs that they think could theoretically revive the economy, a stimulus package here. Joe Biden's hand is too sore to sign your $2,000 stimulus. Started the book mostly on the Seattle protests of 1999. It was the first time people were directly protesting against globalization. And it was against the World Trade Organization. They were at the time pushing programs for austerity, mostly in third world countries. Seattle's always the hotbed where things start. (laughs) Um... AutoZone's going to have to change its name with all these autonomous zones. The Chazes are going to be half of the state of Washington. These were called structural adjustment loans that the WTO was putting in place. This first chapter, we're just learning the names of the organizations mostly. A structural adjustment loan, we're going to go deep on that in the Enron book. Liar's Poker, we learned about uh, Sally Mae and Fannie Mae loans. This Enron one is about how they went to India and just 
gave them money to build power plants and then they were never able to finish it so they reclaimed the plant i'll break it down easy for you guys think the 2008 bank crash these banks get zero interest loans from the federal reserve free money and they're going hey go stimulate the economy so the bank likes to find really poor people to give mortgages to because then you have more people in debt to you as the bank you're like look how many people owe me shit and those are real people groveling living behind (laughs) tightening their belt the bank gives you this zero interest monopoly money And then in a decade when you have to forfeit on your house, they reclaim the hard asset, the property. So the bank gave out monopoly money and now it has a real asset that it could sell off to some Chinese real estate mogul. You got to beware of these structural adjustment loans. What did Reagan say? There are no more frightening. I can't do a Reagan, can I? There are no, I have nothing. I'm sorry. There are no more frightening words then the government is here to help. You're making deals with the devil. Stiglitz directly oversaw NAFTA and the GATT. NAFTA, North Atlantic Free Trade Administration, the GATT, General Agreement of Tariffs and Trade. Like I said in the intro, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, don't tell me they're... (laughs) considering pizza fruit and uh, the food pyramid is a complete joke. It's almost like a lot of these three-letter organizations do the opposite of what they do. NAFTA, the free trade organization, their entire game is imposing structural adjustment loans and tariffs. (laughs) You've reached your T and stamp limit. It's time for your ship to pay a tariff. We're stuck in 1700s with these pirate laws. It's just like Enrodden did to India, fronted just enough money to build half a power plant, and then Enron came in, finished it, blows up. (laughs) They need a Thanos snap over in India. People from my hometown would go there, and they were like, just half the people and a couple more doggy bags to pick up the poop in the road could be a good country. Talked about mid-chapter Africa in this introduction, and this is the radar for uh colonization in the upcoming century china's getting in on it they're working out their bank programs like we are (coughs) he talked about in this section with africa the imf and g7 so just a couple other names we're going to be using throughout the show imf international monetary fund and they're kind of just a goon a henchman for the g7 which are the most advanced industrial governments, us. It's mostly other allies. And sometimes we get together with G8, which is Russia. And we just bully smaller countries, monitoring, making sure they don't get debased so the entire world currency doesn't go off the rails. We'll get into the nitty-gritty on that later, but those are the organizations. Globalization, it's sold to you as we're going to be able to get milk to... Indian countries and you know medicine to Africa in reality it's the old bait and switch we're giving you our money so that you're beholden to our bankers Jesus talked about this debtors system 2,000 years ago I'm not the first guy to try to put it into a digestible format (laughs) at least we got gifs it's a runaway system in the 90s when the US moved off the petrodollar 
everything is now backed by the U.S. Reserve. I've done on the show how France tried to cash out their gold in the 70s and we just had to be like, no, buy more gas from us. Why we had that gas shortage in the 70s could happen again. You guys know some of the players now. Stiglitz worked for most of these people. He went, developing nations are prescribed a World Bank advisor that is responsible for tallying their resources. So remember, a couple months ago we read the Airbnb story, and once you are a corporation that goes from the millionaire to the billionaire status, the CIA gives you a cultural advisor, it's called. It's basically a handler. And so the World Bank gives the uh, U.S. Treasury or whatever the country is a uh, advisor that tallies up their resources. It's like when you got to do taxes in the middle of the year and your accountant gets all nosy. You give him all your uh, yearly income. He's like, that's it, man. That's how much I make. He's like, no, I need to know what kind of gold you're storing. What kind of assets do you have? Tell me about them. Your accountant's rubbing his nips on the other side of the phone feel like a cheap phone sex operator he is the uh <laughs> advisor <laughs> like the jk rowling's goblins how much golds do you have for them to steal later this happened recently with venezuela <laughs> like nobody cared about this country it was like bolivia we were just letting them fester probably killed their president in the 80s in a plane crash venezuela got one of these world bank advisors and we found out you guys are sitting on some of the biggest oil reserves. You just received a mandatory invitation to the United Nations. Welcome, Venezuela. When I pour up that coconut oil in the kitchen, a Marine shows up at my apartment door. Globalization is neither good or bad, just like governments, but unfortunately they're run by people, which are self-interested and flawed. And get deeper into solutions later. There's no such thing as trust in the world. Only mutual self-interest. Chapter 2, Broken Promises. He described his first day as a chief economist at the World Bank Organization. This is the father organization to all these smaller ones. He's at the D.C. office, and when you walk into this building, it has a 13-story atrium. This is the type of office you could build for yourself when you have the money printer at the center of this room there's a statue of a young boy and a blind man the blind leading the blind inscribed in it is our dream is a world without poverty remember the name of the chapter broken promises the imf is a subgroup of the world bank org and for 40 years they have been directly overseeing african starvation how much um, progress have we seen? People from both the IMF and the World Bank on a daily basis are in and out. You can't keep track of a colleague for more than three weeks. They're taking missions all around the world. Stiglitz, very well-traveled guy. He adored the five-star accommodations he would be put up at. He says you can't understand a country until you get out to its countryside. And you can't understand the unemployment statistics until you see the body count. You check out the unemployment line. All these numbers are kind of funk. You got to go down to Methadone Mile, your municipal office, to see how many hobos are really on the dole. He says people would think twice about the wars that we are funding in Afghanistan based on the farmers that he's met out there. 
was that movie Lone Survivor, I think, was the one with uh, Mark Wahlberg. I love these patriotic movies. I throw in a dip when I watch these. Mandatory. You're rooting for the Americans. <laughs> but they have you thinking by the end of this two-hour propaganda film, every single farmer in the Middle East has an AK underneath his tunic, safety off, ready to fire at you. <laughs> Stiglitz. It's a much uh, more friendly world. Stiglitz calls what we do around the world the white man's burden. He's got some white guilt, it sounds like, but it's true. Why do we think we know best for everybody? You have to teach uh, black people how oppressed they are by other white people. <laughs> you know, we know what's best for you. We're going to help you guys out. It's so um, hubristic to take that position as the world police. America, fuck yeah. I'm losing my angle. China is doing the same shit in Africa. We just got to start doing it better than them. <laughs> it's just as much the yellow man's burden. Honestly, this shit should be called the imperialist burden. When you walk into the World Bank Organization, these people are not figuring out how to eradicate poverty. They're figuring out how to enrich bigger nations. Broken promises. White people... We're so evil. We should just stop helping everybody around the world. Our promises, the the few, the proud, the strong, our armed forces. Who are the people looking for the missing Malaysian flights? Let's pull out the Doctors Without Borders. Entire U.S. fleet in the Gulf of Mexico. Let's have a party. We're so evil. He went deep on Ethiopia for the second half of this Broken Promise chapter. We're eradicating poverty over there in Ethiopia. I used to have a joke about I had to stop telling it. <laughs> it's a little too blue. Ethiopian restaurants, I really don't understand them. The most prominent characteristic in that country are the children's distended stomachs. You get Imagine if this happened to models. You fast for so many days that you start getting that bubble gut. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Sir, I'm here for the photo shoot. I haven't eaten in 30 days. I have this gut. <laughs> Work at a restaurant. You'll see how many scraps we throw out. The Ethiopian banking system was going to be swooped in and saved by the IMF. <laughs> the entire country of Ethiopia has the same net worth as Bethesda, Maryland. The Ethiopian government resisted demands to open up their mining system to the IMF respondent. That they, you know, that correspondent tax guy who wants to know what's in your mines. Maybe Ethiopia has some hidden resources. They're hiding all their food underground. <laughs> they found a cake mine. That's why all the kids are fat. Ethiopian indigenous banks were starting to grow. The farmers were getting better interest on the loans for their crops. They started building irrigation systems in their rural towns. Like I said, Stiglitz would go out to the country. He's like, I'm seeing some unique farming methods where people are pailing water for each other. They have altruism over in Ethiopia. What's going on here? We want to introduce Western ideology to them. And so we start leveraging... Keynesian banking onto their little loads. The IMF called the Ethiopian economy a house of cards. The point I'm trying to make here is that it's grassroots. These are people building actual communities, whereas we fund McDonald's to be put along Eisenhower highway systems, and that's thought to be more legitimate because they're cashiers and stuff, but 
your money is worth more when it is funding actual things. We have impossible meat now. We're not even funding actual meat. You got to question the IMF's word when they go, your economy is a sham. <laughs> what you guys have been working for, trying to claw your way out of Stone Age poverty. We're going to come in and save the day. So Ethiopia and Kenya have this similar story where to this day they're still living on $110 a year wages. They go through constant droughts. The prime minister of Ethiopia was Meles from 1991 to 97, and he was showing that an African country can sustain economic growth, natural economic growth. IMF was like, no, you have to take our $127 million stimulus, and it came with a new constitution. Had to swap out a lot of their mining officials for IMF officials. It's like the peacekeepers in the Hunger Games. 127 million bucks, that's the economy of Bethesda. The IMF could print them billions of dollars and make them into Wakanda. <laughs> really give them the medical technology that we have. But instead, they, hmm, I'm doing the hand pyramid of doom. We give them just enough and a new constitution. We did this to Argentina in the 80s. This book was very much like Confessions of an Economic Hitman. We'll uh, go deep on more of the Latin American countries in that book. Ethiopia, Kenya, same exact plot. Read the bio for the show if you want to understand it in a sentence. Uh, Botswana, we did this too. And now there are only seven countries. I mean, this book is 10 years old, but there were seven nations at the time that were not part of the U.S. dollar-backed system. Cuba, East Timor. So not them anymore. We learned about that in the Chomsky book. North Korea, Liechtenstein, Monaco, Taiwan, and the Vatican City. Final parts of the chapter here. He's going, as an economist, I struggle to see the value that the IMF produces. They are inefficient at reducing poverty and ineffective at promoting growth. Chapter 3, Freedom to Choose. Washington's consensus on Latin America through the 80s and 90s was privatization, fiscal austerity, and market liberalization. Austerity usually means to buckle down. Liberalization usually means to fund. So Washington, our entire plan for the macroeconomics of South America is mumbo-jumbo, self-contradicting. Last chapter was called Broken Promises. Stieglitz is setting us up for another broken promise. This one's called Freedom to Choose. Can you escape to anywhere on a Mayflower anymore? To a land where you don't have to pay taxes? He says the problem in many of these policies become ends in themselves. <laughs> so like when we make this word soup plan for South America, it sets up a bureaucracy for bribery for... South American uh, gangsters. Look how they handle business in Mexico. El Chapo can tunnel himself out of any prison. The answer usually is not more red tape. Morocco successfully escaped the clutches of the IMF in 1988. Stiglitz went to visit. He found an NGO officer who embedded himself in the local chicken distributing community. NGO officer is one of the honchos for the IMF. And he was saying, 
people were building chicken farms to a new extent, kind of like the irrigation in Ethiopia. And this IMF cop is a dirty detective. He's saying, I need a cut of the chicken's eggs, polluting this entirely pure system. So entire point of this chapter, he's saying, I'm watching like blue collar corruption as well as these uh, white collar house of cards that the IMF sets up. This pseudo privatization of making more tariffs and trade, it just is giving more people the ability to bribe. It's like uh, if you look at capitalism as a game, let's make it simple again. I've been playing a lot of Monopoly and the meta to this game Never sell your property. <laughs> like, block the other people from getting Monopoly and then just keep milking their money once you got a Monopoly. And in early game, you have to have a lot of money. The IMF can come into these Ethiopias and Moroccos and just give them a small loan of $120 million, and that country is part of the New World Order forever. <laughs> the second half of that BS motto was about liberalization. His example for this part was Washington liberalized Uruguay's market and we leveraged their trade negotiations to extort their natural trade. Um, so, like, we did the same thing that the IMF did, but for this part of the chapter, he's going, the World Bank hit the U.S. Trade Department with a shitload of fines. They're going, you have to use the cloak of the IMF. You're not allowed to directly wallop smaller countries <laughs> you got to do it through the league of shadows in 2001 the world bank org started doing a lot more of these petty fines because china joined now we got a real cheater in the game so the refs got to pay attention liberalization there's a lot more room to cheat <laughs> and then uh the third of those was fiscal austerity this is what's happening in Singapore, how it's getting huge, the hedge fund guys. The problem when you try to get real stingy as a government, you know, like saving money is a virtue until you're in a war. Fiscal austerity is not that good of a policy because now you're beholden to your donors. We have super PACs. Corporations are people in the United States. Tech owns the fucking government now. So austerity isn't only the answer. Got to start asking bigger questions out here. What's the meta to the game? Do we have the freedom to choose what percent of our tax contributions go to defense to super PACs or to just trade unions to support blue-collar extorters? <laughs> You're telling me the Department of Defense makes its money in war? No. There's no way the DEA, who's fighting the war on drugs, is monitoring the flow of drugs over the border. <laughs> we got a war on chemicals instead of a war on human trafficking. No, don't tell me the state-run media is actually disinformation. Chapter 4, IMF Epic Fail. <laughs> Need a little bit of a breather. It's getting high energy, throwing a lot of new terms at you. Let's talk comic books real quick. Just because I never read any comic books, but I did watch the Batman Begins recently. That's the first of the Christian Bale series. I think it's better than the Dark Knight, the Joker, Heath Ledger, Society. That one wasn't that deep. It's just chaos and order. 
You want to know how I got... He's a psychotic villain. He lies about his dad gave him the scars in one story. He was drunk and he wanted to make his wife smile. This guy was um, not as calculated as Bane, who was trained by the same guy as Batman. In this entire movie, Batman begins... Bruce Wayne, he's like, this city is doomed. It's falling to crime, to Antifa. He's going, we need a symbol of light. So he embraces his dark side, flees to the Himalayas for a decade, trains his body, his mind, yada yada, Yoda training. (laughs) He uh, comes back to the city, beats up some thugs as Batman, and everybody's got to skip in their step again. They're going, we have hope. And then... The water supply gets tainted with a chemical that induces fear. It's called fluoride. Batman, he's sleuthing his way around the city, and he can't put his finger on who is preventing the progress of Gotham. Everybody's just scared. They're hiding. It's not a pandemic. Batman also can't empathize with the people who are living in fear because he trained that out of his system that's how he's able to be the dark knight he trained with the league of shadows eventually batman hunts down liam neeson (laughs) and it's finally revealed that the people that were polluting the water were the league of shadows the guys who actually trained him he tells him what's happening is beyond your size We've been lurking in the shadows since the burning of Rome, since the fires of London. He says the West has reached its peak, and it's time to rebalance the scale. True justice for inequality. You can't pick up a Monopoly game the next day. You gotta put the pieces back in the box. (laughs) The inheritance taxes and all that crap, maybe we should take a second look at that. So everybody doesn't get born into another rigged iteration. The League of Shadows. The IMF. Potato. Potato. I'll try to weave this comparison in. This one, the IMF epic fail, is about how uh, we bungled China so hard they banned the board game Life. Actually, about 1997, the Thai bot crash. That was the name of their currency. The name of our currency is Dogecoin and Ethereum. These are wizard spells that we're using. You can't make fun of them for using the bot. The IMF started minting money directly for Thailand. A story as old as time at this point. (laughs) But one of our solutions for Thailand to get back on its feet, or the IMF, I don't know why I'm saying we, was APEC, Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation In 1998, Hong Kong met with the World Bank and was asking for them to apply more economic pressure to Pacific Rim nations. He was trying to say, you remember what you guys did to Ethiopia? I want you to call all the Pacific Rim nations illegitimate so we can go institute our dollar over there. Start setting artificial minimums on trade prices, a lot of sleepy macroeconomic talk. Think about it like the uh, minimum wage. Oh, we should have a $40 starting wage. What that does to the economy on the bigger scale is inhibit the ability of new businesses to start. In America, we are about low buy-in cost. Anybody can have a voice on Twitter. If you have an iPhone, you could get a stock trading portfolio. Low cost of entry. 
Let's get a fair shake of the dice. You got to think a couple of steps ahead where the dominoes will fall when you argue for higher costs of entry, higher tariffs on these things. Let me pop the bubble for you this chapter. He was talking about the 1997 Hong Kong markets. They had a Black Tuesday. What happened to us in the 1920s, NASDAQ. You see the pictures. You go back in time. They have like a box office at the bank. <laughs> you can't talk to anybody at the bank now. You are on hold with an Indian guy for four hours. On Black Tuesday, everybody ran down to Wall Street and tried to take their money out of the bank. Good thing those guys in the box office have bars on the windows. The bank had to default on individuals. They said the money isn't worth anything right now. We got to keep it in the system. So it actually has meaning. This is why through the 20s people were burning money to stay warm. It's a scary one. Pop the illusion for you. <laughs> you can't take your money out of the bank when shit really hits the fan. It's the actual resources thing that you want to be putting it into. That's why your accountant wants to know how much uh, ammunition you got stored in your panic room. <laughs> Money, in the biggest sense, is a tender of control. It doesn't matter what, if you're using the bot or the U.S. dollar. It's just kind of to know who your daddy is. It's the founding dollars. Every time a dollar trades hands, every dollar goes up in value. Last part of this chapter, the epic fail. We crashed the bot. G7 was beefing with China in the Southeast Pacific. They printed $95 trillion, which the IMF used to implement elaborate systems of bribery. We learned in 100-year marathon, China's like, we have <laughs> tapes of everybody doing their most shameful masturbation act in 4K. We got the black box files to end the world. IMF printed them $95 trillion. What the heck is that? That is an island made of diamonds, an asteroid made of uranium. This is inconceivable amounts of money. They call it, when you print money, you're borrowing from the future. Kind of a reckless year we've been having with our buyouts. You know the Federal Reserve, the guys who print the money, it's an extrajudicial body. They're not part of the U.S., and they audit themselves. So to wrap this chapter, fucked Thailand in the bot. <laughs> Thailand officials requested $9.5 trillion for infrastructure, for secondary education, for community, sustainability. The IMF said, up yours. Pumped it into property values, sold it to their buddies later, as I described the 2008 housing musical chairs. We got to ask someone at the IMF, hold these faceless people accountable. Are you actually trying? Epic fail. You guys just spent $95 trillion and Thailand is still a shithole. We've given the IMF a Batman utility belt. <laughs> they're a vigilante of justice. Everything is illegal and illegal, but they're using it for authoritarianism. Chapter 5. Mischievous Trade Laws. We're halfway through. Stiglitz is not candy-coating anything for you anymore. Like my coffee, black today. Sipping out of an empty ragu jar. That is not any frills. He goes, the IMF is a political institution. In 1998, he watched the bailout of Russia to maintain Yeltsin's power. This is all a political gesture. 
people in Russia don't like Yeltsin. People in Russia don't like Putin. You can make the joke, if you don't vote for him, you go to a gulag. They compile lists of voters, like we're trying to do with the T-word, number 45. <laughs> Russian people vote for Putin and Yeltsin because they are scared of a Stalin. You ask Russian voters, that's what they say. They're like, I'd rather the evil I know than what I don't. These faceless IMF people. At the World Bank, he oversaw policies that were getting a lot of these diplomats reelected. He said exactly like his time in the Clinton administration, how these World Banks and their no-interest loans work directly with the Clinton boosters. Clinton Foundation, who has the most efficient hitman organization in the world. Putin was accepted with a warm embrace by the Bush administration. You got Prescott Bush, who helped found the CIA. Oh, their rival is the KGB. Nice burp. It's that black coffee. The Russians are our best friends. All of that Cold War shit, it's for the ratings, baby. The U.S. Treasury Department were able to make trade deals with the Russians in early 2000s that went unfettered by the IMF. Remember what the U.S. tried to do in Uruguay without the IMF's approval? They got a slap on the wrist. And what they did this time around was with the price of aluminum. 1994, Russia had excess aluminum and gave it to the U.S. for pennies on the dollar. And the IMF was seeing how chummy we were getting with Russia as soon as they were printing all those dollars on the recently transferring nation. And now they're just giving us war materials for free. 1994, the IMF out of nowhere regulated the minimum price of aluminum to the point of diminishing returns so that Russia didn't want to sell to the U.S. anymore. Another tongue-in-cheek political gesture. <laughs> they're not trying to grow the U.S. or the Russian economy. It's almost like it's to reinforce Raja Ghul saying... I know I trained both of you, Bane and Batman, but you guys hate each other. You guys have to fight each other to give the people of Gotham hope. <laughs> uh, bread and circuses, a show to be distracted by. Stiglitz, he talked to many colleagues at the National Economic Council, none of whom were able to convince him of a sudden interest in regulating aluminum in 1994. This is political. Your sandwiches, those 1980s lunchboxes, could have been a hell of a lot cheaper had the IMF, <laughs> the League of Shadows, been defeated earlier. Chapter 6, Better Roads to the Market, a shorter chapter. Stiglitz is trying to tell you there are better ways to influence a market, and that would be through natural tourism. That's a great symbiotic relationship between two nations. Anthony Bourdain is my number one globalist. <laughs> He's like a better reporter than everybody who's trying to get outraged. <laughs> Let me throw a controversial one at you real quick. The guy who questioned Neil Armstrong and got punched in the face was doing humanity a favor. How do you come back from the moon and give three press conferences your entire life. Bitch, if I went to the moon, not one female at a bar would go without hearing this story. 
<laughs> this guy ran up to Neil Armstrong on the street. He's like, I have one question for you, sir. I'm a great fan. Why are there no stars on the moon? You see Neil Armstrong. He's like, I just about to about to pops the guy in the nose. Come on. Man. These are bigger questions. Mankind, let's take another step. The League of Shadows won't let this guy hold another interview. Anthony Bourdain is a natural globalist. Sure, he might have gotten killed when he was working on a child sex trafficking documentary. He talked about China some more. I don't want to beat a dead drum <laughs> because we did a 100-year marathon. He's going, China proves that economic development doesn't automatically correlate with personal freedom we could get real anal about the political compass they have some sort of feudal capitalism hey i'm uh about laissez-faire markets i guess <laughs> the best way to run your business is with slave labor g biden says we just have cultural differences with them the sec will look the other way when we do too big to fail bank bailouts but when GameStop fluctuates a couple hundred dollars, they turn off the stock exchange. There's better ways that we could be treating these markets, have them be truly free. You gotta make it so not only one team can use the meta for the Monopoly box. That's what gamers call it. I used to have this roommate and we would play FIFA and I suck at FIFA. I just knew I would get addicted. This is one that people get super good at but i'm happy i didn't initiate the time this kid went pro in fifa like he played around the country i don't know if there's a lot of money in that he said he made it pretty far though <laughs> and he's like the meta for the game in fifa 2010 is a low shots for some reason it's broken if you aim low cheddar the goalie just can't get down in time and i was like so, so the game's broken from time to time you need to have a patch for the game Corporate socialism are two words that shouldn't go together, but we do these giant bailouts and just give money to rich people. The U.S. Treasury Department, we hate China because they don't hold up the illusion of the market as well. We don't like the GameStop situation because it shows you that the stock exchange is just buying and selling hype. It's making it too easy for people to understand. You have to have the GATT, the G7, the IMF to have a higher cost of entry. Let's go to chapter 7, IMF's other agendas, second to last one here. We're deep into the show. Remember what uh, Commissioner Gordon said to Robin? He goes through his mustache. You're a detective now, son. You can't believe in coincidences anymore. Charles Wilson famously remarked, What's good for General Motors is good for the country. Stiglitz trying to make the points that we run our government like a corporation when it should really be the social program coordinator. We're not using these programs for the right thing, like the IMF is supposed to eradicate poverty. It's weird, he said, how the most credit-worthy countries can't get loans from the IMF. Like I said, with the bank bailouts, the family where both spouses are working aren't able to get a loan for some reason. They're just getting by by the skin of their teeth because they're paying all their taxes. But then you got this eight kids, somebody who's on the dole. They're going to get that Floridian McMansion 
because they know over more time they can accrue more zeros in debt from this person and make fake money and make ones and zeros in the system of our digital currency now. Stiglitz says market failure theory has not been re-examined for over 80 years. That's about the age of Austrian economics. These are developing sciences. We look at them as holy texts of trickle-down. He started defining countries' economies going through long periods of pessimism and optimism. This guy has a Nobel Prize in economics, and he's going, ah, the reason that groceries are more expensive now and you're seeing hobos infiltrate every town is because the economy is a little sad. It's a little depressed right now. It's having a rainy day. (laughs) I've said before in early episodes, Mind of the Market, we read really early on. Markets are, they can't exist without the human mind. It's almost like it's a living, breathing thing like us. And so you have to have some natural growth. If you take HGH, (laughs) you're going to get that weird-looking gut and red-ass skin. Man tits, huge traps. Chapter talked a little bit more about Russia and the U.S. having oil wars. And the trade laws are mostly what set the price. We would be doing tinfoil deals for one another. I didn't make that connection before. Aluminum, tinfoil, we're making hats. Think about how many alley-oops America and Russia have thrown to one another in the Middle East. Oh, you guys don't like the Taliban? Long ball, Hail Mary. Oh, how about we give them a couple M4s? Double clutch slam dunk. We drop a Moab on them. (laughs) It's like uh, we could destroy and loot Golden Triangle, opium-ridden Vietnam regions during Cold Wars as long as we are not directly fighting Russia. We got to use the proxy of these League of Shadows for some reason. Stiglitz making these connections. He calls it the bailout bail-in. When we come over to Ethiopia with $120 million and our tail tucked between our legs, you get bailed out, but we are bailing you into a much bigger scheme, a pyramid. It only costs us $36 million to get Bucharest on the U.S. Federal Reserve dollar. That's uh, cheaper than, like, Derek Jeter for a decade with the Yankees. We purchased Bucharest. He's going to be starting at shortstop next season. G7 creditors of Thailand were able to extract $31 billion in 2001 alone. It's all just like money laundering at a certain point. That $31 trillion that we put into the Pacific Rim... It's uh, getting snorted and shoved into strippers' G-strings. He said East Asia are the least transparent economies on Earth. They have closed ledgers, and then Norway and Finland are supposed to have the cleanest currencies, which probably some of these African countries would have had some real-ass dollars that we could have used. IMF here to save the day. It's Alexa Luther, though. Let's go to Chapter 8. The way ahead. I'm going to get some speculation from Stiglitz. My last sip of coffee here at a PM episode. I got to start throwing Baileys in some of these. Chapter 8 The Way Ahead. Stiglitz 
pulling up his soapbox. Every author in their last chapter, they got to have a call to action. This was a really short book, 250 pages. You guys think I'm putting it into child terms to patronize you? Hell no. This was suspiciously an easy read. He says globalization is working against the poor, against the environment and economics as incomes plummet in developed countries. You got to look at emissions in Dubai or um, Kiwi, these super cities in China. They're supposed to have this global mentality. They're pioneering new technology built by Silicon Valley that's going to harvest our data. The globalization is going to come in the form of a microchip. Stiglitz says, I believe globalization can be reshaped to realize its potential for good. This will come by people better understanding their own institutions, not outsourcing responsibility. Decentralizing. You want your mayor to be in town so he knows you're going to tar and feather him if he doesn't fix the potholes. We need uh, some Austrian economists at the helm. People who are both knowledgeable and apolitical. This human doesn't exist. I'm looking for a philosopher king. <laughs> it's rare to find someone in any public position who doesn't have a knack for social climbing. That's our flaw. And bureaucracies amplify and display our flaws. These people, they're friggin' robots. Who do you want to get a beer with, Hillary Clinton? Do you want to go out and get a cosmopolitan with me? Affirmative. However, I will be drinking adrenochrome. <laughs> Pete Buttigieg, this guy haunts my nightmares. He's one hell of a globalist. He's a gay man with a fake intelligence background. Stolen valor. He says he's not going to rest until you and some Filipino guy both are paying a carbon tax. He's like Caesar Augusta. I will not rest until the entire world is taxed. <laughs> These people are a little totalitarians. Pete Buttigieg, keep that guy out of my dreams. Gay dreams. <laughs> Joe Biden, his first week amongst the pandemic as president, spiked the price of insulin. Like that wordplay in there? The SEC counteracted the spike in game stock. Make it so you can't sell at certain points. I guess it's the end of the show. I gotta come clean to you guys. When I play Monopoly, I kinda rigged the rules a little bit myself. <laughs> Even when I was the banker as a kid, though, I was hiding money under the table. You could set up the rules so that there's no negotiations. Like, that you have to land on the spot to be able... There's ways... Instead of playing Monopoly and wasting your time, I literally deleted the app before the show as a jest to myself. I wanted to get a little more insight. Redownloads it five minutes later. Read Adam Smith instead, the guy who wrote Wealth of Nations. <laughs> he was mentioned for his work on market imperfections in the last chapter here. He was like, yeah, there's always going to be poor people. Human beings are not equal. We have different ambitions. How come the church donates more to the beggars than the monarchy? <laughs> this shit is timeless. Probably do one of his books in the future, so I don't want to dive too deep into that. I want to talk a little conspiratorial while we can. This is the globalist topic today. I can go off the rails. Message of the show is not that markets are limitless, but they are a miraculous method for cohesion it's the glue of humanity. For thousands of years, Istanbul was the crossroads of the world. 
there was no IMF, no mass civilian casualty world wars for thousands of years. People would just go to the city, get the currency, and then trade. <laughs> we didn't have to pay the income taxes to these goons. Quote, in my writings as the president's economic advisor and chief economist of the World Bank, I advocate a balanced view of government. He's taken the uh, Adam Smith approach. I'm more of a John Locke fan out here, too. Can't blame Stiglitz, though. He saw the Russian mafia capitalism take place. I don't know, man. If you allow your government to abridge laws in the time of crisis, they will create crises to dismantle your rights. <laughs> if you're paying attention, this is utterly obvious. And the same thing happens with the banking system. You want it to be as homegrown as possible. Let's get positive with globalization. Of all the money that G7, the most rich industrialized nations, pool together, you would think instead of building war satellites, rods from gods, we got tungsten missiles in space ready to annihilate each other. We're in a convertible spaceship Earth. <laughs> We're going to get clobbered by an asteroid in a minute if we don't just turn a couple of these satellites around. Real globalization would be building some comic book Asgardian defense system in our atmosphere. Instead, they're going to build Elysium for the rich people. We have zero point energy. We have thorium nuclear reactors. <laughs> There's videos of people on the internet who build cars that run on water. I'm saying we could obviously invent some of the technology that we're working with. We could reinvent the monetary system as well. If anything, some of the stimuluses should have showed you they could have been doing this the whole time. We could really be trying some of these new methods. But the League of Shadows... Every time the West reaches its peak, they gotta fucking check us and send us back into the Stone Age. They. Popular word for the show today. <laughs> I just added like 10 new words into my lexicon for they. The IMF, the GATT, the G7, the World Trade Organization, NAFTA, the GTT. <laughs> All these people want to cut. These people. Now I'm dog whistling to other xenophobics. Appreciate the fans here at the end of the program. The next global shock is going to be a big one. Maybe aliens. We need more transparency for these shadow organizations. <laughs> um, I wanted, with our last president, to see the JFK files. They were due to be declassified, and he reclassified them. Oh. Popular vote doesn't matter. Look at who our current president is. This guy is a corpse. This is our symbol of hope. This is our Batman. The intelligence communities that fortify the elections, like Time Magazine said, they're just admitting it. It's almost like we are being put into an artificial dark winter. So we got to stay hopeful out here. I'm not the vigilante. <laughs> but I do like truth. I'll be that Rajah Ghoul just to spread some truth out here. Let's give a new face to globalism instead of this forced multiculturalism. Let's make it everybody culturally appropriating one another. 
I want to see Asian people in dashikis. I really want to wear a silk kimono. I have a brighter view for our future. And that was a fun program to go a little bit deeper and understand some of the inner workings of money. Thank you, Mr. Stiglitz, for globalization and its discontents. Next time on the show, it is my birth week. And we actually have a personal favorite author of mine getting self-indulgent. It is The Return of Albert Camus, a legendary piece, The Myth of Sisyphus. Today's show is not exactly self-empowering. Living on a slave tax farm planet, Albert Camus employs absurdism to beat this defeatist mentality. He's going the best way to survive the human experience is embracing your suffering. It's mythology. We're talking about Sisyphus, this jacked... Home Ray, he got oiled up every day and he pushed his boulder up the hill. And he learned to embrace the suffering. It's going to be a real Goggins level check in halfway through the year, some motivation. This book talks heavily about suicide, so it's going to get a little nihilistic as well. But the positive, king of the opposites spin that Camus brings to the table. Thank you guys for taking the time to learn about nationalism and globalization the interdimensional vampires that are stealing our loosh (laughs) stay safe out there check out the patreon hairy shit on instagram my name nick munez i'll see you next week peace